and uh, welcome to this week's edition of the Hindus Parley, which is our weekly podcast to discuss contemporary policy issues. This is Vikas Dhut, your host for the week. We are discussing the implications of the proposed sale of the national carrier Air India uh, and its implications specifically on the future of India's public sector and the center's plans to divest its holdings in many more such state-run enterprises in the coming months and years. Uh, while uh, this year's budget, we saw the government unveiling a bold new disinvestment policy that envisages a bare minimum presence of government-owned businesses, even in the strategic sectors. The government is also at the same time pursuing the sale of its entire stake in public sector firms like BPCL, Shipping Corporation of India, IDBI Bank, and two other public sector banks and one general insurance company in this financial year itself, uh, which uh, by any reckoning given our uh, country's recent disinvestment record is an ambitious target. Uh, to share their insights and perspectives with our listeners on this ongoing uh, political economy uh, saga, we have with us Mr. Ashok Chavla, who over his 40-year-old career, 40-year career in the civil services has steered several state-run enterprises, including, uh, uh, you know, driving the implementation of the ambitious Sardar Sarovar Narmada project. Uh, he's also served as a secretary to the government of India in very, very critical portfolios, including uh, civil aviation, finance, and economic affairs. Mr. Chavla, who retired recently as the Competition Commission of India chairperson, has had a unique insider view on developments around in Air India in the past two decades that we hope to uh, glean from uh, a mold. Uh, accompanying him is Arvind Mehta, an alumnus of the Delhi School of Economics, who was the secretary to the 15th Finance Commission. Uh, the Finance Commission, as we know, advises on the sharing of resources between the center and states and plays a very, very critical role in uh, India's federal uh, framework. Uh, during his career in the IS, Mr. Mehta has worked extensively in uh, very, very important ministries such as the defense uh, ministry, finance, as well as commerce. He's handled sensitive issues, including the South Asian Trade Desk, uh, the ne- negotiations pertaining to the World Trade Organization, and other critical trade pacts that India has been pursuing over the last decade. Working now as a senior fellow in the Niti Aayog, uh, Mr. Mehta is advising on policy issues that affect state governments. He's also served, uh, most importantly for us, in the Department of Disinvestment in two separate stints, in 2005-06 and earlier in 2001, you know, the early days of frenetic activity uh, in disinvestment uh, under the Atal Bihari Vajpayee regime. When, this was when the Air India sale was first being pursued. Let me begin by welcoming both of you to the Palais. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Mr. Chavala and Mr. Mehta. Thank you. And uh, before we go into the present and, you know, a bit into the future, I thought uh, given your vast experience, I thought if I could request both of you to first give us your understanding of uh, how things came to such a pass at Air India over the years in terms of losses and operational problems. And what do you think stalled previous attempts to reform or even sell the airline? Uh, uh, Mr. Chawla, if I may request you to start. Uh, because I think uh, it's in the public domain that uh, Air India two, three decades ago, was one of the premier airlines of the world. Uh, It slowly, steadily, but definitely went into a spin. And uh, while an attempt, as you mentioned, was made 
in the uh, early 2000s to see if it could be disinvested based on the recommendations of the then disinvestment commission that didn't move very far and then the experts advised and the ministry of civil aviation somehow took the took the view that it it would be good if the two airlines that is air india and indian airlines were merged and we would have a strong kind of presence in the aviation sector so the merger took place in 2007 there was a lot of uh, positivity and euphoria about it at that point in time slowly it came to pass that mergers are easy and easy to handle on paper but unless one can really bring the two organizations culturally together unless one can reap the benefits of synergy in terms of cost saving in terms of employees reduction and so on and so forth it actually might lead to a bigger problem and that's what happened uh in the sense that the synergies didn't happen but the two airlines the 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 total financial bill kept getting bloated and uh, it soon reached a stage where the model also the the air india indian airlines model of full service airline etc etc while uh, perfectly valid for the international sector started getting uh, difficult to handle in terms of operational efficiency and economy in the domestic sector and then the low cost airlines came in and uh, while india is a big market so far as aviation is concerned and it will continue to be for some time uh, it's also a very price sensitive market the net result was that the low cost carriers over to uh, air india in the merged entity uh, went into a tailspin from which it never came out and uh, if the if what is now in the public domain we are told that every day it was losing 20 crores that was the ultimate uh, nadir which the airline has reached and i think it's it's only appropriate that the government has pushed the uh, company to a final disinvestment um, it's it's certainly it's a certainly long overdue but uh, even then it's been a momentous decision uh, which will serve the aviation space in india well and of course the the government and the public sector as a whole mr mehta would you uh, also share with us some of your experiences in those uh, days of 2001 when air india was uh, still a disinvestment candidate and what transpired in that period uh, yes vikas uh, mr ashok chavla of course has summarized it very well but just to give you a little bit more uh, insider view i was part of the transaction team that was looking at this particular divestment transaction for air india and indian airlines in uh, 2001 and um, there were many factors that kept playing there were there was strong buyer interest there was in fact also interest from a corporate house uh, which did not have aviation uh, experience and uh, uh, there were all kinds of uh, muddying of the waters going on uh, also by some of the private airlines that feared competition if this uh, divestment transaction did go through so uh, to cut a long story short what really happened was that um, uh, in the ensuing confusion that happened at that point of time of lobbying of various kinds uh, there was also an advice that was given that enterprise value of the airlines would increase if there is a merger and then they can use a hub and spoke model for their uh, 
synergizing their operations and it will mean that when the divestment takes place later, uh, then you will get a better enterprise value for a merged entity. So, um, uh, in some ways, the, gov the government did agree to this kind of uh, advice, put the immediate divestment on a back burner and went ahead as uh, uh, Mr. Shuk Chavla has already summarized with the merger proposal, which finally happened uh, much later. Um, but the underlying weakness that really happened with that merger was that, as he said, there were two very different cultures. There was also a difference in the employee strength per aircraft. And uh, the merger did not go through in the manner that was envisaged to increase the divestment value, but in fact led to a greater deal of losses because also of the uh, large purchases uh, and the debt servicing, etc., that started building up. Uh, so um, personally, I'm very glad that finally the government has uh, bitten the bullet, so to say, and has managed to do a transaction which. Uh, was long overdue. I'll stop there. In fact, I mean, if you recall, uh, in his first year in office, uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi had uh, announced that the government had no business to be in business. Uh, yet over the last seven years, we couldn't see any significant PSU sales materializing. Uh, in, in fact, earlier attempt to sell Air India in this government also did not sort of fructify. And a few public sector firms were sold to other public sector firms instead. But with this, uh, like like Mr. Mehta said, with the government now biting the bullet on Air India and announcing the uh, airline sale to the Tata Group, its original promoters, uh, would you say this breaks the taboo in some ways about the uh, taboos associated with disinvestment in our political economy in recent years? Uh, essentially, this is the first sale if it goes through in 18 years. So, Mr. Chavla and Mr. Mehta, both of you can. Yeah, because it's certainly a a long-awaited positive signal of the government policy on the public sector. Uh, because as you mentioned, <clears throat> what has happened in the last 18, 20 years, whichever government has been in power, um, <clears throat> there, there's, been, there's been share sale, shareholding sale from one pocket to the other, etc. But no real, uh, no genuine privatization. So this is the first such uh, thing. And in that sense, it sends out a very positive signal. Uh, both for the public sector entities, more so for the investors, domestic as well as foreign. So the logical inference, therefore, one can draw is that this is going to be now the, the way the government is uh, approaching some of these uh, public sector entities and the issue of disinvestment, in which, you, as you mentioned, has also been articulated uh, by the finance minister in the budget speech. So. Uh, there is euphoria, there is uh, expectation, but uh, as one can appreciate in all such matters, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So I would say that the euphoria needs to be tempered a bit um, for a number of reasons. One, of course, the, the, while the broad policy is there, but you know, once you, one, you get into the details of the architecture, strategic sectors, each uh, sector will have two, three enterprises, will continue to be with the government and so on. Uh, so one doesn't know at the end of the day whether there will really be a, a fairly robust pipeline of public sector entities which are up for offer. Uh, it should not be that there is an asymmetry between what government offers and what the investors are really interested in. 
Number two, there is the parallel track which the government is pursuing for fiscal uh, mathematics, which is the monetization track. So if you if you push the disinvestment track aggressively, the monetization track is already sort of being pushed very aggressively from what one uh, hears and reads. Then the issue will arise, is there adequate appetite and capacity on the other side of the table to pick up all these kinds of uh, um, proposals which are being put on the table by the government. Thirdly, the we have to appreciate and past experience uh, bears that out that the process of disinvestment is long drawn, complicated. It has been so even in the first round 20 years ago. It used to take quite a while. That has not much has changed in that regard. And finally, I think there is the the elephant in the room which one cannot uh, ignore which is the what is the window of opportunity with uh, the parliament elections coming up in 2024 which is two and a half years away so at best the window of opportunity for either this kind of disinvestment or for the monetization though we are not really discussing that today but uh, is the twin track which the government is pursuing the window of opportunity is at best about 18 months 20 months so whatever government can do in that, and let's hope they are able to do a fair amount to fulfill their their broad objective of uh, actually pulling back from business where they do not need to be in business. That will really be a welcome step for the stakeholders, for the economy, and for the people at large. Right. You actually ended up uh, answering some of the other questions I had in mind already. But Mr. Mehta, what do you think uh, this sort of uh, would you agree this sort of gives a more enthusiastic situation for investors to participate in uh, future stake sales and uh, what could be the challenges in terms of if we could if the NDA in 19 between 99 and 2003 could privatize 17 firms uh, can we look at a similar streak uh, in the window that we have before the next looks of our Yes, so if we were to go back a little bit again into the history of the privatization that started in the Vajpayee era, the commitment was very strong to the uh, divestment being of the privatization nature through strategic sales. That was the commitment and you did see modern foods being the first case, uh, even though it was a loss-making unit, it was uh, well absorbed and then you had Balco and uh, slowly you started seeing uh, many more like IPCL, you had the share sales of Maruti transaction, which happened, which gave controlling interest away. Uh, so uh, there was there was a momentum that was building up along uh, what can one can call um, actual privatization. That momentum was building up. But when the government finally came to the BPCL sale, that's when the pushback started happening. And many in the parliament started questioning that why should you divest um, a very profit-making uh, CPSU, uh, whereas uh, you could possibly have a reason for doing it for loss-making PSUs, but why do it for a profit-making PSUs? And with that kind of uh, uh, pushback that happened, um, there was a loss of the momentum that did take place. And then, of course, with the change in the government that happened, uh, the entire philosophy, in fact, uh, of divestment uh, was entirely different. Uh, because we must remember it was a it was a coalition supported by the left and ideologically there was no support there at all for any privatization. So um, what happened was it became stake sales. 
saying that we will sell part shares but not below 51%. That became the broad creed. And they had set up a Bureau of Public Sector Enterprises that would, would sort of examine the cases regarding the loss-making CPSUs and then make a recommendation. Uh, but that was more a mechanism by which um, no real recommendation came out and the loss-making CPSUs also continued thereafter. So, uh, in a sense, um, for a long time of the uh, time period, there was this uh, complete uh, turnaround that happened. And in fact, uh, I do remember when I came back to the disinvestment uh, ministry uh, in 2005-2006, I could see that the milieu had changed completely. There was no appetite for strategic sales, uh, specifically uh, of the kind that was being done earlier. And uh, there were part sales that were taking place uh, tranche. Uh, so um, I think the real the real value that I see in this Air India sale now is that again there has been a clarity of a thought uh, that wherever the government feels that whether it's a loss making or a profit making CPSU, but the government wants to make a strategic exit, uh, they are willing to do that. And I'm particularly happy that. Uh, the present DPAM has found a mechanism for a strategic sale of a loss-making unit like Air India because it's easy to sell something like BPCL. Uh, it'll, it'll attract buyers based upon the enterprise value and the profits, but it's not easy to attract buyers when there are um, huge losses on the books of the enterprise. And they have found a via media by way of bringing in certain sweeteners into the deal uh, which has attracted investor interest to the extent that a sale can go through. I think it's a good learning experience for them. And I ho do hope that uh, many of the other loss-making units that are continuously bleeding the uh, taxpayer, those loss-making units also, the DPAM is able to innovatively find the right sweeteners uh, to get strategic buyers. I, I do certainly look forward to those transactions. So that's an interesting uh, point, actually, that Air India, like you mentioned, is a loss-making enterprise. So the, uh, you know, the fact is selling it is saving the taxpayer money immediately. Uh, while, uh, as you said in the past, uh, we stand at a similar juncture again when we're trying to sell BPCL because it's a highly profitable PSU. And, you know, we have heard the usual criticism from the trade unions and left parties on Air India's sale. But uh, do you fear that, you know, Coming to profitable PSUs and having them off will again attract a wider uh, groundswell of opposition and criticism. Well, I do see I do see that possibility that as and when uh, profitable PSUs are sold, the the public perception ideological battle will be stronger. Saying what is the need to sell something which is giving you good dividends? You're selling the family silver, etc., uh, etc. Et it's it's far more difficult to justify those kinds of sales as it would be easier to justify the loss-making sales, but the loss-making sales are actually far more difficult and the challenge is much, much greater uh, because each transaction has its own set of complexities um, given the kind of valuations that you have to do and um, uh, you have to really uh, be able to communicate with the markets quite well to be able to structure a particular mechanism. As you see in Air India also, they had earlier structured a 76% stake sale with a 74% with a 26% share sale with the government, but it obviously did not find 
favor in the market and that's why the transaction couldn't go through so in the next iterative round they were able to structure a 100% uh, sale so these kinds of um, market perceptions will have to be dealt with um, the the battle uh, public perception wise will be easier for the loss making units and in some ways it's more vital to get out of those immediately because they do bleed the taxpayer there is a lot of budgetary support that eventually goes into such enterprises uh, so it's in my view it's actually critical to do try and do those ones as quickly as possible the more profitable ones will have a different kind of a challenge but the sale actually will be easier in those cases i stop there mr chavla what do you think yeah i i i agree with uh, arvin in the sense that uh, there will be the usual noises when profit making enterprises are sold but if the government uh, clearly articulates his policy which they have been trying to do on what they want to sell and what they want to retain and i think generally the while people may object for the sake of objecting but the general um, um, i would say the, the general consensus across the political spectrum at least is that you know public sector is no longer and need not be the the uh, occupy the commanding heights of the economy those have already moved to the private sector so the public sector in many of these uh, areas uh, is, is actually just bringing up the rear so there's not much point and as long as the process is run in a very transparent manner i think there will not be too much objection and it could also be i mean the government might also want to sort of consider setting up some kind of expert body in the nature of a disinvestment commission as was there at that point in time which will which will then be used can be used to convey to the uh, to the community and the political spectrum that here is an expert body which has made these recommendations we are sort of accepting those and uh, we are on the right path which is broadly in conformity with whatever we have announced so far i i just wanted to add one more perspective to this entire um way this is shaping out uh, i remember during the vajpayee era um, we'd had an internal discussion in the uh, department of disinvestment uh, in an, in the internal discussion we had pointed out that there was very good uh, value that could be uh, got for the government by doing some of the financial sector uh, share sales in the banks etc and uh, i do remember it's uh, that uh, the then minister mr arun shori then had clearly said that look uh, let's not open up too many fronts the financial sector will open up um, a huge battle again let's choose our battles and not uh, push ahead on that sector at this stage whereas in this government i think in the modi uh, era now they haven't been shy of saying that they will do some amount of uh, strategic sales if necessary even for some of the banks which they will choose so that's that's in fact an even more of a uh, shift that i see between the vajpayee era and the modi era that they are now quite willing to look at the financial sector for um, divestment and i think partly it has also helped because public sector banks are no longer being viewed as the only uh, banking mechanism you've got private sector banks which have now grown large enough uh, that the role of the public sector banks is somewhat diminished and some of them can be strategically chosen for outright uh, divestments also yeah that's actually a big big shift in terms of uh, the boldness of the disinvestment approach now 
uh, at least that is being attempted and we hope some of it fructifies. In fact, if we, again, since given our history of disinvestment has been so short that we have to keep going back to the NDA era of 1999 to 2003, where, like you said, modern foods was a loss-making PSU which kicked off the process. But uh, And some of the other PSUs like Balco and all were also on the verge of or already had turned sick. Uh, and most of them turned around quite well uh, in private hands later. Uh, but we also saw some profitable PSUs like CMC Limited and VSNL uh, are being sold out uh, at that time. So uh, perhaps there is, like you and Mr. Chabla say, there is still possibility that we can manage the narrative on BPCL and other profitable PSU sales uh, if we can uh, garner the garnered opinion around uh, and galvanize opinion on the reason reasons and rationale for it uh, to manage perceptions. Yes. So. Ultimately, this is the political process. I think once the political resolve is there, I'm sure the transaction teams will find it much easier to move through the transactions. So um, ultimately, yes, it is a political resolve that will matter. On, on a related note, I mean, I, given those 17 cases that were privatized, there was a very interesting study uh, done by this uh, Kelly School of Business professor Nandini Gupta, along with a, a peer from uh, Sluan School of Management. And they found that, you know, in the 17-odd PSUs that were sold then, uh, not a single PSU was privatized where uh, the cabinet minister in charge of the PSU uh, had a uh, the, and and the PSU was have, having the operation in the same state as the cabinet minister, so you know of course these are political compulsions that tend to come up, and uh, uh, do you expect such tendencies to crop up because we have a permanent electoral cycle in state of polls, uh, state elections, general elections, panchayat elections, you know, so such considerations do you expect if not from the point of view of ministers in charge, but maybe you know, state-wise considerations that, you know, you defer a particular sale after the election in that state. Mr. Chabla? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess that's been the history of all these major economic moves to some extent. But uh, I think this is also now, you know, 2021 is very different from from uh, what it was uh, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago. So, uh, uh, I, I guess it's not much of a problem now as because as Arvind said that if the political resolve is strong, then I don't think uh, you know these things are going to matter very much. But since you've asked me to come in here, let me say that you know the, the whole process will get uh, will, will get further energized because at the moment what apart from the politics of it, you know the whole thing is being perceived. Um, as as something which the government wants to do because they don't have money so it's more like you know they're pressed to the wall so they are trying to push privatization or monetization on the other hand because paisa nahi hai and they need money for you know their welfare programs and running the government and so on and so forth and the you know the structurally also the depom is part of the finance ministry which unlike the nda where it was a separate ministry um, after that, it's been tagged along with the finance ministry, which again sends out the signal that basically, you know, it's a, it's a balancing the books kind of exercise. So uh, I think the if the government is serious as it seems to be, there should be a, a separate ministry or a commission which reports directly to the prime minister's office. That will make things far simpler in terms of the uh, 
mechanics of implementing the program of this investment and minor political issues of you know particular minister being happy or unhappy or not etc etc those things will not really come to the surface um, but that's again a political call which the executive has to take on how they want to push this mr mehta you've seen some of this uh... yeah yeah if i may just add a little bit of my perspective that i have seen uh, you are right uh, it was actually uh, for a strategic sale it used to always be difficult to convince uh, the concerned ministry which was dealing uh, and owned in the sense that cpsu to come fully on board because for them it was a sense of loss that they would be losing uh, something so there would always be various reasons that would be given of why um, it's not the appropriate time etc they had no problem with part sale shares as long as ownership control did not go out of uh, the ministry's hands so that kind of a problem always remained and that's why i said strategic sales are far more difficult than uh, part sales of shares uh, but um, i think the mood has changed now i think it's uh, pretty clear that the prime minister has said that the government has no business to be in business he has made it clear that he doesn't want to see is officers and others uh, being the ones who are running uh, cpsus without uh, Uh, fully commercially involved in those operations and being changed from time to time so there is there is a clear resolve that is being um, is being publicly articulated so i think that that kind of a mindset that there was earlier where a ministry could try and sabotage uh, some kind of a strategic sale i don't think we are going to see that kind of resistance uh, in this time period uh, but uh, what worries me actually is Uh, the narrative that goes out that the government is doing these sales because it needs to cover its fiscal deficit and you know it's doing it only for that i think that narrative is very damaging because it's then in the public perception it is simply a sale of you know the family silver and it the family silver being sold because uh, so i would be happier with a narrative that does not talk about the monetary aspect so much as the need for you know fixing the fiscal deficit gap etc uh, because i think that does more damage to the public supports uh, rather than simply saying that we are convinced that society is better off by having this not being a government run entity but a private sector run entity society is better off and i think if that narrative is stronger um, it would be better because if you really look at it uh beyond the point the f- the disinvestment proceeds have never been uh, of that substantive a value compared to the overall government receipts that they would uh, be something which is very very critical uh, for the government if it's let's say fiscal deficit say slip by about 1% in a year uh, that's about 2 lakh crore and that's what uh, the disinvestment target as a whole for a year would be so whether that fiscal deficit shifts by 0.5 or 0.7 uh, it doesn't really matter so much as Uh, saying that oh we have to sell because we need that money i i think that narrative actually needs to stop and it will make the job easier for convincing the public yeah he's right uh, he is absolutely right i think the focus should now be totally on efficiency productivity increases and not on uh, you know balancing the books so one reasons uh, historically also for the slow progress on disinvestment has been you know post transaction implications we've seen the cag and the cbi and so on uh, venturing into cases like the center of centaur hotels uh, sale for instance where a 
corruption case was uh, involved on the disinvestment earlier disinvestment minister and the secretary and uh, of course uh, the former finance minister p chidambaram uh, when the upa was in power ensured that these cases were uh, closed and you know uh, no such witch hunt went on in that particular matter but do you think i mean this is the prevention of corruption act amendments i think our late former finance minister arun jaitley also talked about it that it's important to protect uh, officials for their bona fide actions uh, taken in good faith but those amendments were talked about in the initial part of this government but uh, we have not yet seen much movement so would some of these things you know help galvanize faster decision making especially uh not just with disinvestment but as you mentioned monetization is also a huge uh, risk prone process uh would that help according to both of you see because to some extent you know there will always be this um, you know your hindsight will be perfect 6 by 6 which will not be there when you are actually doing it so some issues will be raised but on the amendment uh, as far as i know that amendment has been carried out and the amendment to the prevention of corruption act now removes uh, a particular uh, subsection or clause which said that even if you have not benefited monetarily but by your action some other private party has benefited then also you are liable for criminal action under the prevention of corruption act that was amended i think um, if i remember right about 3 years ago so to that extent so to that extent there is uh, there is some protection but in these things one can never sort of uh, you know uh, expect or one can never hope for complete uh, uh, immunity from from the kind of oversight which comes post facto uh, because you do things people do things by and large in good faith and then when you look somebody looks at them differently after a gap of a few years and why did you sell at this price and why not at that price and so on and so forth so the the only solution is to keep the process as transparent as possible to uh, to uh, make sure that uh, you know the 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 whole sort of loop in terms of the process is followed in letter and spirit and on that particular aspect which was causing a lot of problem that has since since been removed so cases which arise after that date are now not going to be taken up only if there are acts prior to that and we are not talking of those kind of cases here but those things will continue because in criminal law if if uh, there was a particular law at that point in time prior to say july 2000 uh, i think uh, 18 then those would still be covered under the old prevention of corruption act provisions smitha i mean air india's case for instance the losing bidder has been quite gracious about uh, the bid being awarded to the tatas group but you know in more profitable psus we could see uh, you know losing bidders also raising allegations and st- other uh, concerns or you know trying to stall the process so what do you think can be done to avoid some of that kind of friction and help faster decisions so i agree 100% with uh, mr shok chabla when he says that you know hindsight can always give you 20 by 20 vision and um, anybody with hindsight can say oh why didn't you think of this or why didn't you think of that this could have made it better it's 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 like the it's like the armchair criticism of ms dhoni if he is attempted a sixer uh, and then somebody says that uh, he should have attempted a sixer and somebody will say he should not have thrown his wicket away uh, 
um, so you know it's it's very easy to do a little bit of armchair analysis at the end and i do remember in the vajpayee era we had actually proposed that uh, for greater transparency of course the procedures were very tight even then it 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 went through several layers of uh, validation uh, of the committee of secretaries and the empowered group of ministers etc and then the cabinet decision so so there was there was a multi layered uh, mechanism of uh, checks and balances that were built in but in addition to that we had actually suggested a concurrent audit to be done by a cag officer uh, along with the transaction so that uh, if there was any whistle blowing to be done on the, from the auditor's perspective it could be done immediately while the transaction was going on and i do remember that i was told that you know um, typically the cag uh, does not like to do a concurrent audit they like to come and do an audit ex post facto of the transaction so i personally am still in favor i'm still in favor of a concurrent auditor also being a part of the transaction team from an independent agency outside the ministry in my view that adds a greater credence and transparency to the process but i'm not so sure whether the cnag office would be willing to bring in that kind of a risk for their own officer because then he would be as much a party to to the criticism of a 20 by 20 hindsight so yes it's difficult it's difficult and um, in the case of air india for instance it's very easy later on to pick up uh, some kind of a uh, angle and say that oh this could have been done better for a better valuation uh, in fact i think um, the officers concerned have been uh, very bold to have taken the decision that they have taken uh, to get the best valuation and fortunately um, now the kind of um, the kind of opposition that there used to be earlier say to the itdc hotel sales etc is more muted i think the general public also now does accept the fact that some of the cpsus uh, the government needs to let go of so hopefully no no particular witch hunts will be started by any government on these accounts yeah we keep our fingers crossed for that and uh <laughs> just want to also get a sense of you know do you think there should be some uh, no go sectors like for instance um a resource uh, dependent sector like coal for instance should we i mean of course the government has said we'll retain bare minimum presence in strategic sectors but should there be reason for people to be worried for instance in airports and ports uh, we are already seeing you know uh, one or two groups getting a lot of assets uh, under their control and then sort of uh, in in the adani port case for instance uh, they've uh, they've banned shipments from iran and you know this is Uh, sort of taking a unilateral private sector action which determines often uh, extraneous outcomes uh, so in that sense do you think there are some sectors which we should consider holy cows even today uh, maybe coal and other energy dependent sectors to be retained in the public sector uh, i think the finance minister has already uh, listed out some broad things the sectors defense atomic energy uh, you know oil and gas and probably coal is there so there will be some public sector enterprises which will continue in those areas um, of course those sectors are also open for most of those sectors are open for uh, private sector participation as as it is but uh, i'm sure government will keep that in mind because uh, uh, public policy would demand um, would certainly require that uh, some areas there is government presence and they are planning to do it not just in these areas but also in the as you mentioned yourself in the financial sector the insurance sector and so on and so forth 
so it, it's it's likely to be a, 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 a calibrated exercise with some things uh, kept reserved my only fear is that the reserved list should not be so large so large and so big which defeats this whole purpose because the, some of the better psus i mean the psus which can be privatized more easily will also be in some of these areas um, so we'll have to see how the balance is struck Sumetha, you want to weigh in on this? If, if I just add into that, uh, there's a famous comment of the previous finance minister, Mr. Arun Jaitley, regarding the Air India sale, where he had said that if you wait too long, there will be no airline left to sell. Uh, so I think the government does need to keep an eye on any particular CPSU which is bleeding so badly uh, that its valuations can get destroyed beyond a point where you then have to go for liquidation. And I hope that that um, uh, situation, if it's arising, the government is able to move quickly on those transactions first. Um, and uh, if there was a kind of a, a prioritization, I would prioritize those kinds of bleeding enterprises. Um, for instance, Scooters India has been bleeding for so long. I'm not so sure whether anybody would be interested except for a slump sale, uh, which is to do for the assets, but not as a running enterprise. So I'm not so sure they will be able to get buyers uh, given the kind of liabilities they've accumulated. But if you ask me, yes, there is there is a role for certain uh, kind of uh, countervailing um, mechanisms, as uh, Mr. Shok Chabla said, in a calibrated fashion. Uh, we don't do any fire sales. I don't think that's advisable at all. Uh, there has to be calibration. There has to be also a, a watch on the market appetite. Uh, we don't want those kinds of sales which happened in certain countries where oligarchs came and just lapped up all the public sector assets and then became billionaires at the cost of the social good. So there, there has to be calibration. And then there are certain CPSUs which are uh, the kind where, uh, for instance, if you look at the ones to do with hydropower production, NHPC, uh, SJVNL, uh, Perry Hydro, NIPCO, these are the ones which are strategic from the point of view that private sector, from our experience that we have been working in this sector, uh, private sector has not really been able to get the kind of risk appetite of the long gestation lags and the geological risks that happen in these kinds of uh, projects. So um, um, while you can do um, uh, brownfield uh, uh, asset monetization, that's not a problem. But for greenfield development in these kinds of areas, I don't think there is any substitute for the sovereign taking that risk. And therefore, you do need them because you do need to get balancing power through hydro. Given the fact that solar is moving, you need balancing power for balancing it out by other commodities and coal. So, so there will always be a rational. And uh, I don't think we need to go for any fire sale. Okay. So just down to my last couple of questions. Wanted to get a sense from you on how can states be sort of nudged to take up similar disinvestment uh, in their own uh, set of state PSUs? Mr. Chavla, you've run some of the PSUs in Gujarat as well in your time. Uh, within state governments, how can this be sort of incentivized by the center? They propose some incentives, but how do we get some momentum behind that? Uh, my own sense is that uh, there's not much which the which the states can really gain by selling some of the enterprises because uh, most of them, the steam has gone out of them over a period of time. By and large, 
they are loss making or there has been they have been subjected to so much competition um, that unless they were they were operating in some kind of reserved activity there is not much there so um, i guess once this uh, you know this whole process takes on a dynamism of its own and people realize the benefits of uh, of uh, pulling back and government not spending money whether it's the state government or the center these things will happen over a period of time um, for instance in gujarat my impression is that apart from a few joint ventures which are doing well um, where there is participation by by other companies or by by the stock market then uh, their performance is, is is reasonably good but that's not really you know there's not uh, as if uh, they are not really entirely the uh, of the ownership of the government in most other enterprises there is not much uh, value left and i think that's the situation perhaps in most of the most of the state governments where the uh, most of the states where uh, the these the old corporations or the old public sector state public sector enterprises continue to exist they are not really uh, fading away because we, do, we don't allow anything to die so easily but they will go that route sooner than later mr mehta you are also advising states uh, i mean you are advising the niti aayog on how to help states uh, take certain policy actions i mean how do you weigh in on this and also given that this uh, problem of psus which have virtually shut operations and are you know perennially sick whether it's in the center and states uh, how do we what is the best way to dispose of such you know psus uh, where there is no value beyond maybe just the scrap and uh, land value, land parcels so i agree with uh, mr chaglav that you know by a natural process we have seen many of the state psus dying out and the states have uh, quietly allowed through attrition uh, and voluntary retirements to uh, keep keep it going in a manner where they know that they are going to die out eventually it's happened to quite a few uh, but there yes there are some which are uh, very much actively supported by the state governments also um specifically if they have used them as spvs to raise funds for some of their uh, infrastructure activities etc i don't think they will let those kinds of uh, financing arm cpsus uh, die out so easily because they serve a useful purpose for some of the states uh, which utilize uh, off budget borrowings for some of the infrastructure funding that they wish to raise uh, but uh, as a general process certainly in one sector which is the tourism sector i think there has been enough experience uh, if you took look at the case say of haryana in the mid 80s haryana had a flourishing cpsu which was uh, the talk of the country in terms of its having developed very nice tourist spots etc uh, but uh, institutionally the governments have not been able to really manage them as profitable enterprises they start uh, they start sort of just crumbling away slowly so um, possibly if the state governments can even as a first shot start giving up their hold on their hotels etc i think that would be a good start because there will be enough appetite they have some of the best tourist locations and there's a lot of value which can be built up in society by letting it go into private hands so these kinds of measures will help and you are right uh, some of them simply are sitting now on land which can be monetized and used so 
there will have to be some kind of an active uh, role being played by that uh, land monetization policy also i think we've covered a lot of ground and i know given the expertise and insights that both of you have i'm i'm sure we could possibly talk for another hour if we wanted to and i had the uh, permission from you but i think um, we must acknowledge that uh, the fact is that the government has taken a bold decision which has sort of been uh, keeping its own finances on tenter hooks every year not knowing what will be the air india bill uh, for bailing out every year and uh, so i'm really grateful to the both of you for uh, sharing your insights and uh, perspectives with our readers and i hope that at the end of the conversation they'll get a sense and a better idea of the uh, rationale and the reasons why the indian economy needs this investment to uh, go forward a little more aggressively uh, like mr chavla has said efficiency and productivity should productivity gains uh should be the driving force not just uh, revenue and deficit uh, management and uh, given that we managed to start with a loss making uh, psu which was like the epitome of uh, public sector uh, dysfunctionality in recent years for india uh, it's augurs well that you know uh, more such sales including like mr mehta mentioned uh, of more such sales are prioritized of loss making psus and uh, there is greater public support for uh, profitable psus as well to be sold going forward uh, on that note uh, i would like to take your leave at, uh, and again thank you so much for sparing time with us and uh, i hope to host you again in a future edition of the parties thank you mr jabra and thank you so much sir thank you vikas thank you arvin thank you sir and it's been a pleasure having this discussion of the ideas that have taken place thank you